0: Welcome to Story Shaped, the podcast about the stories that shape us and have the power to change the world. I'm Susan Cahill, debut children's author, and my co-host is the seasoned and wonderful children's author Sinead O'Hart. Together, we'll be taking you through some deep dives into the books that shaped us and interviewing other writers about their favourite and most influential stories. We hope you'll enjoy Story Shaped. Welcome to another episode of Story Shaped. Today's episode is a guest interview and we're really excited to welcome author and illustrator Paul Coomey to the podcast. Paul is the author of two wickedly funny and clever books um, where wow. he puts his authoring and illustrating skills brilliantly to work. Uh, the names of those books are Stick Boy and its sequel Stick Boy and the Rise of the Robots and we both <laughs> absolutely adored them. Uh, The premise is amazing. It's a 2D stick figure boy who exists in a 3D world. And it's just a wonderful way to explore difference and perception and bullying and acceptance. And also, they're very, very funny.
1: I I feel a bit overwhelmed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That looks so nice. (laughs) Um, Um, We love
1: um,
0: our guests here on the podium. (laughs) Paul is also an art director at Wonderbly, but most importantly, he's from Cork.
1: Most um, importantly of all, from uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Corky Boo. Um,
0: and as luck would have it, I'm speaking to you from the wet and windy wilds of West Cork. Uh, so, welcome, Paul, and hello, Sinead. How are you both? Hello,
2: Susan. Hello, Paul. <laughs> all is good um, with me.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, pre- I'm pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Cork, yes, of Cork. I spend a lot of time in Clon in West Cork when I was small because my mum's from there. She lives in Bantry now um, but she's coming over to see me this Whoa. week. I'm very excited. My mum is coming and we're going to hang out by the sea in Hastings. Oh lovely. Um, where I live and that's where I'm no longer in Cork. I left Cork a long time ago. Um, 1998 <laughs> I think. A while back.
0: Yeah. Of course, we're, all, never. we're all the
2: one vintage then. I left I left Wexford in the same the same year. sad so. I
0: left sad year. Oh yes. I left clan in ninety eight.
1: <laughs> yeah. There you go. It was a good year for getting out.
0: <laughs> a good year for getting out.
2: Must have been.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do go back. though I do love Park. I mean it's the best place in the world really. Good spot.
2: No, it's not. Wexford. Lock arm and a Boo, guys. Lock arm and It's all about the Wexford. <laughs> <laughs> But I love, I love in your bio, Paul, the way you say that your mum taught you to read in 1982. I love that the specific, the specificity of it, and also the fact that you're meeting your mum again this week. It's great. Uh, I think true. Alice will be re- learning to read at the same time, so I feel it's, we really are all on the one page here. It's great.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> like, but it's true. I was a summer baby, so I went to, you know, you can either go to school when you're three or when you're five. So I went to when I was five. Um, and Mum taught me to read. I remember distinctly, like the little bits of paper cut up with words printed on them. I'm not sure where she got them, and she kept them in little boxes and would put them together and make sentences, like fridge poetry, before before that was a thing. Um, yeah, it was such, it's a fond memory.
2: That's brilliant. That's a lovely memory to have, uh, you know, from an early age, I guess. Uh, learning to read then or reading and stories were important to you always I suppose
1: yeah they were a big thing like the big like one of the abiding memories I have of being small is going to the library in McCroom. Um, and like this is pure magic the, the library was built into the wall of the castle in Macroom, oh, and you went down like a few tiny steps into this tiny door and you went in and it was a tiny room in the wall <laughs> full of books and I, I don't know if there was a grown-up bit of that library but that was definitely the kids bit just inside the door, there was a basket, and in the basket were like asterisks and tintin and graphic novels, just that like bang on eye level when you're like five or six years old. <laughs> going in, <laughs> um, it was a really special, special place. Um, it's all modern now, of course, and it's not in, the, in that little pokey hole in the wall anymore, oh, but, no. but um, it's Such still a great thing. library and it's a theater and as well. a buried gap, so it's, it's a whole like civic place, place for people. Um, but yeah, it's good, good memories. We used to go in with our mom on the bus and load up on books and bring them back. And then do the same thing the following week, every Saturday. Pretty much like not every Saturday, now, but most Saturdays.
0: And so what stories, what stories do you particularly remember from that period of time?
1: I I remember a lot of the roll Dalles, right? Because they were everywhere, like every library had roll Dalles. And we didn't have, oh yeah, we didn't have a library at school until I was in fourth class, I think. And um it was stopped then because it got lots of donations, obviously from parents and people who left, and it was full of Roald dolls. So I remember those. I feel like I've read them all. Um, yeah, they're they're kind of like high in high on the list of things to remember. You know, Danny Champion of the World I had a huge impression, like because that was the I think that was the first Roald Dahl book that wasn't that was somehow like grounded in things you could see and feel around you. Whereas a lot of the dolls are like, I don't know these people. I don't have like. A long-lost uncle who's gonna you know take me to his magic zoo doesn't doesn't happen to people growing up in the middle of cork <laughs> but some somehow danny like wandering around the fields at nighttime, that's that's vivid and that's something you do when you're small you walk home in the dark or you're staying on someone's farm or in a cousin's house who lives out in the country and it, at nighttime time there's a hush and they you can see more stars, and it's like the sounds are different. And that for me, like Danny, really kind of brought the, the story in that came alive for me because it was so kind of tangible. Whereas stuff like I don't know, easy or trot, like I didn't know anybody with a balcony or like <laughs> <you know anybody laughs> with, with like tysons even. So so I felt I suppose that was a big big one. But um but the one I sent the one I sent in the link was um Hatchet.
2: Oh yeah, you
0: sent us that link, uh, Hatchet by Gary Paulson.
1: Which I, I remember taking out of the library definitely more than twice. And I would go back to it um, fairly regularly. But it's about a, a kid who is flying to see his dad. He's flying across Canada, across from one side of Canada to another. But he's flying across the wastelands and something goes wrong. The plane crashes, the pilot dies, the plane goes into a lake, the boy swims out of the lake and all he's got is a gift that his dad, I think, gave him when he was leaving home, which was a hatchet. And with this hatchet, he sort of bends for himself and he figures things out and he doesn't die in the wastelands. Um, and it's a really powerful story about, like, I suppose now, like looking back on it, it's a story about transitioning. It's about that wild period between when you're nine and when you're 12, when everything changes. You go from like a single digit child to like a double digit almost teenager. And everything you knew turns out to be kind of wrong. And then you have to figure (laughs) it out (laughs) all over again and start like in you know new schools and new friends and new things and you have to wear a uniform and there are more rules and time's got a different kind of elasticity it doesn't stretch for ages anymore suddenly things have like deadlines and there are exams and all that stuff so this kid in the book and i don't remember his name he he goes through like this kind of not it's like a mini coming of age but he's like going from a kid to a to a kind of a young teenager and he discovers all of this stuff about himself that he never knew because he didn't have to um but i don't know there's something There was a real warmth in it in the storytelling like you always felt like even though things were like in, he was in a terrible situation he could rely on his weights and I think that's a very powerful kind of message for a young kid it's yeah. like no matter what you have the capacity like you have it within you to, to deal with any kind of thing doesn't matter what comes along you could do it you could do it at, like if you had to uh, and I, and I found that really powerful. and I, thought yeah. I, was in, I was in the scouts at the time because like everybody was in the scouts or karate depending on like which, <laughs> <laughs> Which uniform probably liked best? You picked one, and <laughs> then you good. went to the, the local hall, and every every Wednesday, and you kind of marched around in tight knots and stuff. But the idea of that, like, because I was in I was in Machiav, I suppose at the time, that um you could do all these things, and all this was possible if you just knew a little thing or two about lighting fires and making a shelter. You could do it, and and there's a, there's an amazing like for someone who like I would say I'm fairly introverted. There's an amazing sense of freedom in that that you could you could be somewhere on your own, and you could do all of these things. And you'd be okay. Not The sky wouldn't fall. A bear wouldn't come. There wouldn't be a poison snake. You wouldn't, like, I don't know, cut yourself and get an infection and die in <laughs> too late. <laughs> which is kind <laughs> of the reality. But the book, make, you know, the book's a fantasy, right? So, you know, it doesn't happen that often. that kids are alone in the wilderness and, and they live to tell the tale. But, but it was a, just, I mean, it's a massive metaphor, right? It's not exactly about falling out of a plane and, and surviving. It's something of... Um, But yeah, those like that was a huge one for me. I think, and I think it definitely that informed like the kind of writing I've done so far. I was was just going to say a
2: lot of themes, like besides the whole falling out of a plane into the wilderness, using a hatchet to survive, but like uh, all the other themes you mentioned kind of come up in Stick Boy a lot, don't they? Like, you know, Stick feeling kind of alone or feeling like, you know, he needs to. I I know he has all his friends, but I know, especially in Rise the Robots, I got the impression he felt a bit like left out because he was the only one who couldn't take part in the. I don't want to give too many spoilers, but in the sort of the, the virtual reality thing that all, everybody else is, is taking part in, and he did sort of feel isolated and he had to get through on his own. And it was all, so I kind of felt a lot, I, that resonated with me, what you were saying about the, yeah. the book, I mean, Hatchet, you know? Absolutely.
1: That's the, and it's deliberate on my part. Like, at the, in, yeah. you know, in the first book, he his his major worry is that he's, he's kind of, doesn't have any mates, but it gets resolved. Mm -hmm. almost immediately like by chapter two he's got this like amazing set of friends and then because I'm a heartless author I just took it all away I took it all away from him and then he had to like start (laughs) again but but I wanted him to because what he wants in the first book he wants to be he wants to have friends he wants to be liked he wants to fit in he really wants to fit in and he's obviously struggles because he's you know materially like completely different and it's and those differences make it difficult for people to like kind of find uh, things in common but he does of course find things in common with people but then I wanted him to figure out that it's okay not to be surrounded by people and it's okay to do things on your own and I think he 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 kind of handles it admirably I mean he does I mean, he does a great he, job he does yeah I mean it's <laughs> you know I don't have to make it too difficult for him but while he's while he's figuring it out he does learn stuff that then helps everybody and he can like share what he's learned Um, and the whole like reconciliation and stuff without spoiling anything for anyone who hasn't read it. Is is good, I think. You know, I think it you know, he wouldn't have been able to do that unless he'd had that time to himself. Um, which he was afraid which was the thing he was most afraid of in the beginning of the first book, that he's afraid to be alone really. He just, you know, he he's very clingy with his sister and stuff. You can see it. And she doesn't, she doesn't really care. she doesn't really get a go in the second book. She she barely made the cut.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: but I love fact, her. <laughs> I his whole family barely made the cut, <laughs> so they're just about in there. Um, yeah, it was there was a lot of <laughs> there were some discussions about like would they make it? Do we need them? And I was like, but well, he's a he's a family boy. Like he's 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 one of the family. I think like having, especially because he's you know because he's two dimensional. Like having him on his own would be where would he go home at night to recharge? I don't know. I don't think it would be possible um but yeah for sure I mean the other thing that obviously had or maybe not obviously but definitely I'll tell you had an influence on on the books that I've done is Asterix like I never really liked Tintin I didn't quite get it like he's like running around with this old sailor dude and then there's <laughs> that guy who's always wearing glasses but is he evil I don't really know um and somehow Tintin's always like got a gun <laughs> can, like save the day wasn't for me Asterix on the <laughs> other hand a little annoying dude with a friend who means well and just wants who's just like he's um not gluttonous but he's curious and he wants everything asterix is like this plucky little upstart uh but the presentation of it, it's like the way that it's drawn and written is so bold it's like big text smacking off the page explosive flashes and huge scenes full of people and um. Just, and these, obviously, these are not, obviously, uh, little, um, what's what do you to say? Oh, yeah, a re- kind of a reduced palette. It's, it's conic, right? So there's not that. There's a smaller number of colours than you would get it if it was like a painterly picture book or something. And that, um, I suppose, boldness maybe isn't the right word, but it's a very, it's, I find it very,
0: sorry,
1: <laughs> can you hear my cat wailing behind me? <laughs>
0: I like us. good, welcome
1: she to the podcast to <laughs> She's gone again she's like oh if he turns around he'll go to the kitchen and then um, yeah there was like this, the the vividness of it like you know that you can really see where people are moving on the page and you really know where to look first and all that um, and I think I'm going to mangle the pronunciation of his name Ghoshini I think does just this wonderful job with the storytelling so it's um, those two like for abiding memories and uh, like obviously the dad stuff because like every like the school library had it our local library had it and people would if they were buying you a book and they didn't know anything about books they'd buy you a raw dad book um or if they really didn't know anything about books they'd buy you a hardy boys book And, and then like the local shop, we had loads of like 5p comics, you know, we had big comic and we had, which was like a, bind, I don't know, it was a bind up without the colour plates of loads of old comics. So it's a publishing, comic publishing house, just kind of raiding the backlist and turning it into a product that you can buy. Um, and you'd get like 120 pages for 50p, which is a lot of comic for 50p, but it's black and white. So they've taken all the colour out. Um, some of it is just line work, but but you get lots of stories and you can you see them like compacted much nicer than commando comics which are also like p but all about war all about war yeah just one light on humor <laughs> but that really funny right he he knows mm-hmm. what he's doing he's like i mean he did he knew what he was doing he was making kids laugh from a child's point of view seeing the world from a child's point of view is very effective and not forgetting what it was like to be a kid when you're a grown-up writing stories for them i think is kind of crucial because we have such a different worldview especially especially around time especially like you know as a grown-up now I, I, I try not to but I tend to whiz from one thing to the next but when I was a child I remember you know cycling under my bike with my mates or, or even on my own and a Saturday afternoon would would be days long it just feels even now with the sense of the whole afternoon expanding out in front of me it wouldn't be dark until like 10 o'clock maybe even 11 o'clock in the summer now I, I think, oh, yeah, I need to go home, do this, do that, I need to like feed the cats, clean out the litter, scrub <laughs> this, prepare that, do something. So yeah. I think remembering how big time was when you were small, I think has a good, it, when you appreciate how, how big things are when your life is so short, when you, you've only had like 10 years on, on the planet, time has a whole different shape um and i love reading books where that 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 kind of revel in that that like afternoons last and last and last and last and it's so joyful because you're really you're, you're really like for the reader it really expands the moment as well um yeah maybe that's a part of hatchet as well because there's no sense of time in the book because he doesn't have anywhere of recording it um and he knows he's there for months and he knows when it's getting towards summer because it stops it happens in the winter because the the season's change and the weather gets warmer but he doesn't he's not able to i don't think he, maybe he does count days but the for the reader there isn't a sense of like counting the days or, or counting the time as it passes
0: and do you think because you're influenced by asterisks and the comics and your books have like these just gorgeous illustrations do you think having illustrations alongside text helps with that sense of time because illustrations ask you to linger on them and spend time looking
1: yeah yeah I think so yeah I mean I would I'll have to agree I think that's true for most people now for me when I was a small I would read all the words first and then I would go back and read the pictures so (laughs) I'd probably still do that to make sense i probably do that less now with comics but it does yeah and and the other thing about comics comic panel like a sequence of panels especially silent ones and this isn't like something that I'm making a pronunciation on this is something that I've learned is that they the gaps between the panels encourage you to to do some of the storytelling yourself so you're you're not being presented with all of the pictures you're pres- you get like little snapshots and then in between you you sort of create what's happened in between yourself so it's really rich and memorable form of storytelling and you know silent panels with no speech balloons and blank panels without characters in can also you know signal certain things especially like like we were just saying about time um yeah it does it does help i think there's one there's a couple of times i think i've done it fairly well like when stick's coming home from school in book one and he just trudges through the boring town (laughs) um it kind of works and it reminds me of like you know having having to get from somewhere where you've spent a lot of energy to somewhere somewhere new um you sort of like you don't quite keep track of your surroundings but um I think when you look at the pictures, you see the scale of him compared to everything else. You get a sense of how he's feeling about the situation. And then, of course, he gets home and his sisters there, so they have a good old natter. Um, my sister is coming tomorrow, which is like, uh. probably why I keep mentioning sisters. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and with the comics you have, you read obviously, then they shaped your art as well as your
1: your I writing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
2: And what would have been the most, I suppose, impactful when you were young? Which For one be your favorite, Yeah.
1: I suppose the one I would have copied the most would have been probably The Beano. Yeah. Um, but then as a teenager, I probably read more 2000s. ADs. One of my uncles oh, like yeah. in, in England and he would send them back after he'd read them. Uh, he'd send them over, like, they'd, they'd arrive like <laughs> in a big in a big envelope. And that's obviously very different storytelling. It's very yeah. critical and it's, you know... It's, dystopian they've been telling the same dystopian story for the last 40 years um and that's that's something that I wouldn't be able to emulate even now you know the, the the artistry there and the the rendering of color is just it would take a, a long time for me to get up to that standard but because my there's a lot of words in sick boy too so like it's thirty thousand yeah. words so the pictures aren't like they do tell parts of the story the comic mm-hmm. sequences but you could kind of get away without them um but i think it's important to have them there to give you a little break you know
2: i was actually going to say i think especially in, in the second book the rise of the robots i think you do several times several pages where the stories really do have a, a really important part to play in telling the story yeah. you know you, you kind of have to sort of look at the picture and understand what's going on in it before you and because the text doesn't really elucidate what's happening in the picture you sort of have to read it and then move on to the next bit of text and you go all oh, right that's what he was doing and that i think there's yeah. something about him finding yeah. a secret you could passage somewhere, and you kind was of yeah. think that's a really that i actually said that's a really clever way of using the image um to tell that part story
1: yeah <laughs> um, but i think you know you know what could be influencing me there is because now i'm working on picture books again as an art director oh, so God. i started off working on like when i started working as a designer i started working on picture books and my very first job was as, as an assistant to an art director um no my first job was in a design role before that i worked in production um, and that's kind of, I mean, if you were talking to a purist, they would say that in a picture book, if you take away the words or the pictures, the story falls apart. It has to have both in order to be told. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that I'm not sure you'd find, you find loads of books that adhere to that in, in a bookshop. But there is something about, you know, one has a job to do in terms of communication and another has a job to do in terms of communication. And if they're both doing the same thing, then you sort of, miss the trick you you can you can overtell the story so better to miss something than to have them both doing the same job and yeah maybe that had an influence on the second book because I started working in this new role when I was working in the second book so maybe I pushed more of the storytelling into the pictures it worked very well you did a great job
0: (laughs) yeah so I noticed in in the first stick boy page 149 and there's a picture of stick boy drawing comics and up on his shelf there's a lot of books and because we here at Story are a bit obsessed with books, <laughs> I, of course, I, went. I noticed
2: that in the second book as well. Oh,
0: yeah. Tell me about those, those books. Um, obviously, there is thought gone into which books you chose.
1: Yeah, CDB. I mean, no, there's thought gone into it, right? But I don't have any bookshelves now because we, we've moved. But, like, there's a lot of books. Some of those books were books that were on my shelf when I was drawing the picture. So Ghost, I think, I yeah. just read. Um, remind me of the other books. So we've
0: got we've got Frost Heart, Lyra's Oxford, Grimm's Tales, The Cat and the Hat, Paper Girls, Ghost, Two Sides, Revolting Rhymes, and <laughs> Revolting Making Rhymes. Comics.
1: Yeah, so Making Comics is a, is a book where you can learn a lot about uh, panel based storytelling and drawing and storytelling. It's a phenomenal book, I think revolting rhymes is one of those sticky ones like that line about she, uh the young girl smiles one eyelid flickers she whips the from her, <laughs> That's her from her knickers
0: absolutely my head. <laughs> yeah uh,
1: like how could you not remember those lines having read the book even if you only read it once that would stay with you so i think that maybe that was a reference to that frost art i think is a phenomenal piece of work by jamie littler like it's an astoundingly good book um the others. Lawyers Oxford, I think, is probably my favorite of the all of the that whole world of his dark materials. It just it just does something different. And I think maybe again it's that sense of being independent within a, a world fraught with danger, but but pretty safe because you know it so well. You the tracks of it are worn well, you know your way around, you know where the where the danger could potentially come from. And comparing Lawyer in that book to in you know any of the others. It's a very different character because you know the world hasn't happened to her just yet um so it's a good it's a good book like i suppose i hope that people will look at the books and think oh yeah i wonder what that is go to their library and say oh do you have this book and maybe discover something joyful that in a reading that i discovered you know um it's a good way to share promote reading by putting other people's books in your book absolutely Um, and
2: and putting a whole library in your second book which i think was great idea (laughs) i'd love the idea idea
1: of a a
2: secret library belonging just to me would be brilliant (laughs) that'd
1: be good would not it yeah Um, sure And
0: and then also in the second book there's um an image of Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne Jones, and yeah. we obviously we're huge we're big fans of Diana Wynne Jones. We've already done an episode on one of Diana Wynne Jones's <laughs> books, and we will get to Howl.
1: Yeah, I mean, why not? Like, uh, there was actually in that one, there was um, there was a device in the text that called for that book to be there. So originally, when they, I mean, probably not given too much way, but to find a way out of that room, you had to find a certain book and the, the book that you found was a clue to where you would get to when you left the room via that bookcase, and that was one of them, um, but it was deemed too complicated. Oh, no. So it oh, no. was taken out of the final draft, um, but the book stayed, the book stayed on the page.
0: I gave a little shriek of joy when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> so did I,
1: it was great. So it's a fun thing to do as well to illustrate a cover for that book, just for, just for fun.
2: Just for yourself, yeah. Yeah. A good cover too. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I, I would pick it up <laughs> if I didn't already have two editions of *House Castle*. But anyway, <laughs> and I suppose one of the questions we always like to ask as well is, uh, do you, do you see yourself as a shaper of stories for future generations of readers, and what does this mean to you? Like, does it, does it have a kind of a conscious effect on your work, or is it something that you just you don't think about while you're creating, or or have you any thoughts?
1: No, uh, I would say sorry, no, no, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it sort of dominates what I do, to be honest. Yeah. Like I think I think because because my because I, I worked in children's publishing. Uh I'd worked in it for uh let's see if get my numbers right. Just over ten years, I think, when I started writing. And when I say started writing, I started writing no as a grown up in my forties. I was very conscious of it. Everything that I read, like in the last in those ten years, was written for our kids not everything i read for books for grown-ups too like and being around like the decision making that goes into presenting those stories choosing those stories and all of that you have a, a massive responsibility you want to be giving people the tools and like the kind of big, a big bag of metaphors that will help them to ask the right kinds of questions and hopefully get some good answers and i think when i was writing then I thought the same thing. Every time I sat down to write it, I thought, well, what? what am I trying to say here? What why why are these three kids in the room talking about something? There's, there has to be a good reason for it, otherwise I'm just wasting paper. Um and it and it did kind of like stand over me a bit. I would say in the second book, because of the the the, sh- the, the shoddy process I went through in the first one, where I just wrote it. In the second book, when I wrote to an outline, I wrote the outline first, and I think I went through probably four, maybe even five different outlines before we had one that um, everybody felt was working well. It was slightly different, but it's still a, it's still a load because like you have with an outline, you have like an entry point and an exit point in every chapter, and you know what needs to happen by the time you, you close the door in chapter four and, and open it in chapter five. The children will still have conversations, and I think that's the most important part of, all, of both of the books for me is the conversations between the kids. And in those conversations, I want them to be talking about things that are important to them. Um, maybe that were important to me, or that were important to my friends when they were that age. Or important to my friends' children who were around that age. Um, it's uh, it's starting to sound a bit worthy, but I, I I I'm all for entertainment, and the books are entertaining. But I feel like there's got to be a bit of a you know when you when you put the book down. I want you to. I want you to feel like you've changed. I want something to have like occurred to you in the reading, that occurred to you at some point enough to want you to kind of find out what happens by the end, but also to give you like another way of asking questions or another question to ask or something. Um, but 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 the work isn't. I think for me, the work isn't just the books. The work is also like going into schools, going to libraries, doing events, um, talking to actual live children in the wild and getting them to to do what I'm doing which is you know making up characters making up stories um uh having a laugh trying to be funny trying to be silly trying to be dramatic all those things that you do when you're writing stories is like innate it's built into us it's built into our genes and we forget that and I think we forget it especially in schools because schools are and I'm going to rant no schools are this like sort of archaic Victorian machine and they're no good for finding and you know sharing the joy of telling stories they're not they're good for some things but they're not great at encouraging the little storyteller in everybody to to shout and sing and roar and laugh and clap and run and I think that us as writers we have we have a unique opportunity to when we're at doing events and doing things with groups of kids and grown-ups is to remind people that we all have it in us. I have kind of structured workshops where we we look at what goes into a story, we make a story portion, and then we make some characters. We do it all together. I don't do any of it. I just ask the questions, and the kids come up with all the, the, the themes, plots, the characters, we write a bit of a story, and then they take it away with them. And it's a model that I learned at Ministry of Stories when I was volunteering there a long time ago, and I kind of adapted it to you know being able to do it by yourself, basically, um, and added some other fun bits. But but I think that it, that's the work as well. The work isn't just writing and publishing and and stuff like this, of course, like talking excitedly about what you're doing. <laughs> but it's also about, you know, like making sure that there's always going to be a stream of people like us showing children that they have, that they are storytellers and they're natural storytellers. They're always telling stories, They're always telling lies and they're always te- making things up. And that, you know, the whole world is made of, These kind of stories and not to forget it when you're in school because there was a big there was a big um i got a bit of a fright when i went to secondary school because i loved writing stories in primary school and when i got to secondary school i was shocked and appalled to discover that that's not what you do you don't in english in secondary school you don't you don't write your own stories you um (laughs) you listen to other people uh and you talk about that which is great but it sort of makes it feel like other people's stories are more important other people's stories are important, of course, but, but your own stories are the most important of all. And um, so, yeah, it's just reminding kids that they that they all have have that capacity. and it's it's boundless. Like as soon as you give them a nudge, they're off. Like ten year olds are. They, like people say it about you know four year olds are my my beautiful wonderful Tammy Camp, who I who I love and I'm married to. She always says, you know, they're the four year olds. They're in touch with something else that we can't see. There's something. They have a connection to the whole of the, the cosmic order. We're just not aware of, but it doesn't go away. And I think ten year olds, you just have to give them a little elbow, and and out it comes, and they and they, they get excited. They get really like, full of like beans and spill them all. Like they're 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 good at it. I mean, we're all good at it. We just need a bit of encouragement.
0: I think, and I think your books do that really well because you've got Stick Boy, who's, he's, different, but he's, and also. An ordinary boy yeah. who does ordinary things and is yeah. loves to draw and write comics and talk to his friends and come up with like conspiracy theory. I love the <laughs> the idea of the conspiracy theories because it was so connected to that <coughs> that kind of drive to create oh, yeah. stories.
1: Yeah, that's it. I suppose it's like it's like I suppose yeah, it's like trying to explain it through a story. Well, it must be this, but the logic is like 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 threadbare but it but it works you know just about in in their in their versions of and sticks versions of like this it has to be the thing. it has to be based on like the tiny little things that he can find and he makes a pattern and he and he and he i suppose that's a story isn't it giving it that like sense of realism by just giving it the energy like really believing in it having faith in the story makes it real um yeah but you're you're right he's an ordinary boy i suppose he's a classic he's a classic middle grade hero because he's nothing and everything like all the rest of the lads and the lassies can't even say that sorry all the rest of his friends are like they're one of they're one of something right so so sam's like this kind of super inquisitive detective type uh milo's like this kind of sports star sensible kind of quite conservative guy nick's completely like wired to the moon he always says the most inappropriate thing except when he says the most exactly appropriate thing and that comes like this every man kind of funny guy uh and then jazz is like the, the tech nerd so they all have a role to play except for stick right cuz stick's right in the middle of it all and like, he doesn't have a specific role but like you said he's an ordinary person so he's a little bit of like most of us ordinary people he's a little bit of everything he's not like super specifically um, highly skilled or super trained in something but he can do it all and he's like the um oh no I just thought of, this, of, of Stranger Things but it's very similar Stranger Things is very similar where um the guy with the black hair his name I can't remember he's like he doesn't have any uh the guy who, who falls in love with L, Mike, Mike he he, he kind of doesn't have anything special to bring to the party but he kind of holds it all together so I suppose stick is in a way like him, but but like I said, classic midi-grade character. This is a this is a sort of you, you see it in, in 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 the hero of a novel, although not that's... yours, Sinead, because yours are like kick-ass. <laughs> well, <laughs> yours I... are like, excuse me, get out the way. I'm just gonna solve this. <laughs> well, I
2: hope that's I hope that's a compliment. I don't. know. What that <laughs> it is. Compliment. That's absolutely a compliment.
1: Really like yes, go no. I'm just gonna I'm just the best. <laughs> um. <laughs> I would say classic in the sense of a big cast like middle grade like if you've got more than five kids which by the way I wouldn't recommend. It's
0: a <laughs> <of> not to <laughs> keep track of.
1: <laughs> a lot, lot of names, of, names to yeah. remember. A lot yeah. of names, a lot of personalities yeah.
0: Just thinking back to what we were saying about Danny the champion of the world that Danny the champion of the world was the most of relatable and ordinary yeah. of like when you were talking about any the champion of the world, it really reminded me of stick. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like it has to have an influence, right? Like if you're, if I'm, if I'm writing or if you're writing, you're trying to put yourself into the, like into the, 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 the space of a, of a eight, nine, 10 year old kid. You're going to, those. that's just going to come up, right? It's going to kind go of bubble up through your subconscious. It's like, well, what, what was in my head when I was, when I was that age? And it was Dad And it was, um, Paulson's book Hatchet and it was Asterix and it was Beano Um, and the the thing I suppose that isn't there is TV like we didn't have a VCR so we didn't have like I didn't watch E.T. until about two years ago Star Wars I watched three or four years ago we binged them over one Christmas so I miss I'm missing those narratives but the book stuff is all there and it it comes up so I think you know without being too kind of um philosophical about it, it it does it's there you know that's those are the ingredients that 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 i had when i was small and they've had an impact on the grown-up i've become so i'm sure like when i'm trying to think think like a child like not not that but kind of imagine i suppose like a child then those things will come into my imagination or or they begin to influence my imagination yeah Yeah. but you're right about danny Danny's, danny's danny doesn't have a great setup like and then you know he does what he can what he has which is similar to the, the main character in in hatchet i suppose um and things turn out well which is which is what i want from my stories would stick that things will turn out well whenever he gets to the end of the story things turn out well like the end of the end of the first book was really well i found a really satisfying moment for me because you know it's a it's a massive moment and he's sitting down eating his, his cocoa pops um, <laughs> And, and and I can still feel it now thinking about it. Like it was a big deal for him to have that um, at all. And it's not like a, a, a big, dramatic, climactic thing. I suppose they've had the climactic moment just before that. But but as an ending, it's not like fireworks. Uh, although book two is kind of like that. But it <laughs> isn't. And, and then I think that's okay, you know, to to be to be still ordinary, but to be oh my god to be extraordinary i can't put that into words but you know what i mean he's still ordinary at the end but but, it's, but things have changed and he's happy or happier or satisfied and things are working um without, without him turning into like some kind of superhero uh,
2: so he stays himself but yet he is a changed person as well oh so, yeah, 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 yeah a bit yeah. like
1: paddington bear you know oh. he's still himself oh, he's always paddington himself bear. paddington he's always he's always paddington right um maybe that's But he does go through changes. Um, but the thing that he wants is there at the kitchen table in the end.
2: Well, I mean, who thinking. doesn't want cocoa puffs? I mean, cocoa puffs are are the, are the are the center of the universe. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: they're good. Um,
2: <laughs> so just in the sort of final moments of the of the this brilliant episode, actually, which has been so interesting, um I guess what we want, what we, we like to ask, this sneaky question of. Uh, What's next from you in terms of upcoming projects? If you can tell us, and if you can't, can you give us a hint? (laughs)
1: Um, My my next project is is a library event uh, at the end of the month. So that's my next thing. Um, And then after that, I'm going to do a little trial thing with um, Tanvi, who's an artist, and we're going to see if we can combine our skills into an event for kids, which we're hopefully going to trial in October and then run run properly in the spring. Um, writing wise, I'm writing loads I have I have a little I have a neat little pile of picture book texts that I need to like give to somebody. But for the moment, stick sticks adventures are are where they are. There isn't a third stick book in the works. I do know what it would be, but I don't have a contract for it. So in the the realistic world of publishing, you know your books do okay. You might get another book. But if they don't do okay, you might be waiting. To get Bye,
0: a, stick a boy, everybody. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's it. Bye, stick boy. <laughs> uh, or find him in your local library, which or- which is great for an author because you mm-hmm. get a little, you get a little bit of money every year, twice a year. You get a little. Here's here's how many people borrowed your book, and here's some money. <laughs> great, <laughs> it's um, the best thing ever. And then I'm also writing this uh, long form kind of um, avant garde piece of grown-up fiction that's been bugging me for about three years so i'm finally finishing it i'm hoping to have it finished by november and then i can think again about um more long-form middle grade stuff because i think i have a couple of good ideas for that that i'd love to explore but uh if you see anything else from me in the next uh while it'll be a picture book i imagine i hope who knows i don't but i'm gonna find out um but it's about i think you know The writing, the writing is the thing. So as long as I'm writing, um, that keeps me sane, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. And if people want to find you and to find out more about these, find out more about Stickboy and these upcoming projects, where is the best place for people to find you on the internet?
1: On the internet, you will find me at stickboy.tv. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram places, but uh, if you go there, it has all the links um and there's there's lots of cool stuff you can download as well um Brilliant. Uh,
0: we will you, put links to in that Google. in the show notes
1: in the show notes excellent <laughs> check out the show notes links. <laughs> um yeah there are there are loads of things you can download and i'm on youtube i've done a few readings on there that you can you know use in classrooms and stuff um yeah there's some good useful stuff and like story material for like if you want to do your own classroom things with kids uh, or at home on a rainy day, you can download stuff and have a little play around. There's little uh, story starters and things like that. Um, yeah, it's good. there's some good stuff up there. I think I'm blowing my own trumpet here, but I think the stuff is good. It works in classrooms. It could work for you.
0: Oh, brilliant! <laughs> like, it's raining here right now, so as soon as this podcast is over, I'm going straight there. <laughs> yeah, have a
1: look. Yeah, and let me know how it goes. Let me know what you think. Oh,
0: brilliant. Paul, thank you so much for this fantastic conversation. Um, we've both really enjoyed it.
1: So, I can't look the yammer.
0: <laughs> rambling way, um, Well, goodbye from me.
2: And goodbye from me. And oh,
1: and goodbye from me. See you oh, next time, it. Story
2: Shaped, people. You've been listening to Story Shaped with Susan Cahill and Sinead O'Hart. Follow us on Twitter at StoryShapedPod. And don't forget to subscribe on the streaming service of your choice so that you never miss an episode. Music by Tony Betts.